the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin This Week. Whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the week or expanding on stories the mainstream media has missed, the MacGyver Report is here to fill you in on Wisconsin policy and politics. From our offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we break down the stories that really matter and tell you what politicians and bureaucrats are doing with your money. And now, fueled on plenty of coffee and whatever else, it's the MacGyver team! Hey! Welcome! <laughs> yeah, thanks, Matt. And on this podcast, you get four MacGyver staffers. So let's go around the horn real quick. I'm Bill Osmolsky, MacGyver News Director. I'm David Brinkley, otherwise known as Matt Kittle, investigative reporter for MacGyver News Service. Ola Lasowski, education reporter and writer. Chris Rochester, director of communications. Sam Donaldson going to stop by, by the way. He still owes me money. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. And nobody's getting these references that's under the age of, you know, 35. Not right? at all. Not at all. Uh, Google it. <laughs> all right. So to start things off. The IRS is investigating Wisconsin's Public Finance Authority, also known as the PFA. The feds say the PFA issued taxable bonds to a private project in Dallas, Texas. This sounds off all kinds of alarm bells, especially considering why this organization was created in the first place. Now, Matt, you've been doing the deep dive on this, and it seems the Public Finance Authority isn't as public as you might expect. Uh, shadowy is the term that uh, I didn't coin for this, but people who have followed the PFA and have had concerns about the Public Finance Authority for some time. Remember, let's take you back to Wisconsin 2010 when the legislature at that time unanimously approved the law that created the Public Finance Authority. What it was supposed to do was create this entity that worked with nonprofits and governments to create bonding opportunities for community-based tax-exempt projects. The problem, as we find out some seven years later, is they do very little in the state of Wisconsin. About 2% of their bonding is based in Wisconsin. What they really wanted to do, this California-based entity, was shop around for a state that would allow them to, you know, deal with their, their bonds nationally on all kinds of projects. They've done billions of dollars in projects. Well, back uh, right before the budget cycle ended, uh, we had the PFA and folks representing them trying to push some legislation that would expand the authority of this kind of shadowy group. Well, we have covered some of the issues and concerns, but more recently we find out the IRS back in August has come out with a preliminary ruling that says the PFA on a project that it was um, doing the bonds for in Dallas, Texas, that those bonds should not have been ruled as tax exempt. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is also looking into the PFA, which I think validates some concerns that lawmakers have had here about the PFA. So just to dial back the clock a little bit, they, the legislature, someone in the legislature tried giving this group the power of eminent domain in the 999 yes, motion, right? That is exactly right. There was a big push, actually, to expand powers, a whole suite of powers. But that was maybe the most concerning, that you have this group, this what has been billed as the bonding house of last resort, uh, an, an entity that's involved in high-risk bond um, deals, getting eminent domain, the power to take over private property for public use. That really, you know, and we were told at the time, remember this, that, uh, well, don't worry, they're not, they're never going to use it. They just need it to be in compliance with the IRS. Well, now, perhaps we know why with this Texas deal, perhaps. 
Now, remind us, Matt, what role does the state of Wisconsin still have in this PFA? It's really simply the legislation that it created in 2010. It's the legislation that would have amended this deal, this law, in 2017. But as you recall, there were a few senators who stood up and said, we're not voting for the state budget. It's this thing remains in the budget. That created some some hurt feelings to say the least, but right as of right now, not only do we have no extended PFA legislation, but we have a lawmaker who is wants this entity audited and find out what it is doing. So, so in my book, this is an example of the, the hazards of the 999. I mean, this is this entity is coming under question for the bonds it's issuing by the federal government, and they almost got this expansive new power without anybody being held responsible. Who, uh, who, um, who is leading the charge to cut the PFA loose? Yeah, it's interesting you say 999 this year. Mm -hmm. Of course, remember, it was the 444 or whatever. whatever. 666 or whatever it was this year. It was half of what they were going to do. And they didn't do mm -hmm. as many of these kinds of last-minute resolutions and you know bills going through. But nonetheless, there it was. You have this big issue that was just going to you know seemingly fly through. The guy, the lawmaker who has been out front uh, with a lot of concerns and a, a guy who is trying to get this... Uh, this entity audited is um, a lawmaker from from Waukesha by the name of Scott Allen and um, at the time when all of this was going through he he did say that he wanted the Legislative Audit Bureau to look at it and he also wants some answers that simply have not come forward we'll see where that goes you know it was amazing how many lawmakers were looking around who had who had apparently never heard of this thing before that motion too yeah yeah, and after, quite frankly, after MacGyver News Service started looking into this, it raised a lot of questions among lawmakers. Wait a minute, uh, I didn't know they did this. You, you know, all of these stories that come up, the Public Finance Authority, again, as we mentioned before, about 2% of its projects here in Wisconsin. You know where else it's doing projects? Uh, New York City. Hmm. New York City, yeah, <laughs> New York City, where where they they had a bond measure for um, uh, uh, pl uh, Planned Parenthood. Um, in, in Kansas, the university system went around the legislature there and and went with the bonding house of last resort and the public finance authority. These are the sorts of deals that we're talking about that concern lawmakers here in Wisconsin. You know, it just goes to show there's always one more stone to unturn across the, the street there. That's why we're here, buddy. <laughs> Brinkley and, and the rest of the gang. All right, well, so it's not all bad news out of the Capitol. This week, <laughs> there is some positive news for taxpayers. Uh, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss wants to set $500 million aside for tax relief. So now, Ola, how does, this, how does his plan stack up against your research? Yeah, so, you know, you may remember that the final state budget passed by the legislature and eventually signed by the governor actually spent just about $500 million less than Governor Walker had originally proposed all the way back in February. So the big news, as you mentioned just last week, was uh, Speaker Robin Voss had said that he hopes to use that $500 million for meaningful tax reform. Uh, now, he said that he would be interested in uh, reducing taxes between now and the end of this legislature legislative session, which of course is coming up pretty fast, but that he would prioritize and would rather commit to quote-unquote meaningful, substantive, deep tax reform. Uh, 
music to my ears is <laughs> one one way to say it. Um, now. Yeah. Even if it is a little vague. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So we don't have any details yet here, of course, but what I can say is that when the administration heard these remarks, they uh, they sat up and they took note here. Uh, we know that tax reform has been a priority for Governor Walker's administration, so we'll see what happens. But it's pretty exciting to hear that legislative le uh, leaders are, are looking at this kind of comprehensive reform uh, right here in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, it's uh, scrape the barnacles off and get a little more wind in the sails instead of just one or the other. Um, so I believe it was last week, mm -hmm. Speaker Voss re-announced the reorganization of the Ways and Means Committee. Mm -hmm. In the Assembly, it'll be the first Assembly committee to have subcommittees, a standing committee to have subcommittees. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think the makeup of the committee is interesting. He appoints some uh, really good members to the committee. Uh, uh, Shannon Zimmerman, uh, Representative Shannon Zimmerman, Representative Rob Hutton, uh, Representative Bob Culp are among them, and mm -hmm. all three, including the chairman of the committee, John Mako, come from the world of business. So that's a very good, obviously, background to have if you are uh, both have to pay the tax uh, and have dealt with onerous and complicated taxes. For example, Bob Culp was a big voice behind the personal property tax repeal, mm -hmm. so right. very good reorganization. I think it proves that they're, they're serious, right. um, but do, they, do you think, Ola, that they're going to have the ambition to go as far as, I don't know, a flat tax maybe? You know, uh, interesting you bring that up, Chris. Now, I mean, I think it's important to note here that this conversation has been going on for a while here in Wisconsin. Just last week, we had the reorganization of that committee. Uh, and of course, this last summer, the state assembly put out a plan that would slowly bring the state's progressive income tax code to a flat 3.95% tax. Uh, so this has been something that's been around for a little bit. Of course, we have our uh, MacGyver Institute uh, research, the glide path to a 3% flat tax that we released earlier this year. And of course, you know, something we've got to mention, Walker's budget proposal put back, uh, put forward back in February had included significant income tax cuts. Those were eventually taken out to make room for other priorities, like you mentioned, that personal uh, property tax cut. Um, but those suggestive changes would have lowered those bottom two rates uh, and it significantly expanded the size of that second bracket in order to capture more individuals who are paying a higher rate and bring them down to the second lowest rate. Um, so I think that's pretty uh, interesting and important because it shows kind of where the administration has come from, the kinds of issues that they've looked at in the past, and showing that even though they would have only proposed dropping that lowest rate from 4% to 3.9%, that's still pretty significant because it shows that that administration is interested in lowering and flattening our income tax system. Uh, now, one last tidbit, I might also point out that Wisconsin's lowest tax rate, that 4%, is in fact one of the very highest bottom tax rates in the entire country. Uh, I believe it's actually the fourth highest rate out of all of the 33 states that even have a progressive tax code. So we, we really punish even the lowest income earners in this state more than any others, most than so many other states. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. You want to talk about, you know, having a progressive income tax code. That's something that we have a long history of doing. We've In Wisconsin, we've never actually had a flat tax code. Uh, ever since the income tax has been levied here in the state of Wisconsin, it has, in fact, been a progressive tax. 
but you know what? This idea, I think it just goes to show it's not going away. Um, of course, we have a lot of momentum at the federal level, a lot of interest in uh, cleaning up the code in general, wiping away a lot of these credits. And that's one thing that Speaker Voss actually pointed out. He said, hey, you know, there's a lot of excitement coming out of D.C., and we just want to make sure we bring that conversation right here to the state of Wisconsin. That sounds great. It sounds like we're heading in, the, in a good direction. I would hope so. <laughs> All right, so going back to the IRS now, it seems the agency isn't always on the side of truth, justice, and the American way. Uh, Matt Kittle took <laughs> to the airwaves lately with this report. This is the MacGyver News Minute. Here's Matt Kittle. What's in a name? Plenty of government harassment, the Rock River Patriots will tell you. The Patriots were forced to parade through a bureaucratic labyrinth of red tape and harassment simply because of their name. The Little Liberty Group, which funds itself through a donation box at its meetings, finally gave up its nonprofit quest. It's one of at least six organizations in Wisconsin, more than 400 conservative entities nationwide, in a class action lawsuit. The suit alleges the Obama administration IRS illegally targeted Tea Party and other right of center groups that applied for nonprofit status. The IRS admits to no wrongdoing, but a generous settlement will mean that the Patriots and the other plaintiffs will each receive several thousand dollars in damages for what the IRS did to them. The Rock River Patriots just want to make sure the IRS never targets groups for their ideological beliefs again. For the MacGyver News Minute, I'm Matt Kittle. For more free market news, log on to MacGyverInstitute.com. All right, Matt, so where did the IRS get the idea and the motivation to go after these conservative groups in the first place? Lois Lerner. It was all Lois Lerner. Oh, okay. <laughs> Lois Lerner, certainly. You remember Lois Lerner, of course, good friend of Kevin Kennedy over at the old Government Accountability Board. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is a story a long time in the making, and it really is, in all seriousness, one of the awful chapters in abusive government, abusive federal government in American history. We have the IRS under the Obama administration that no doubt targeted conservative groups based on their name. If they had a, you know, a conservative sounding name, Tea Party, you know, 912, Patriots, whatever the case may be, they were singled out. They were brought in, the, their applications for nonprofit status were brought into a special room in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is a compliance area led by the aforementioned Lois Lerner. And uh, they were delayed, they were harassed. We have, um, you know, uh, conservative groups in the state of Wisconsin who were part of this um, class action lawsuit, really the first of its kind. And a successful class action lawsuit, uh, we finally find out late last month that uh, the lawsuit has been settled by the federal government. Uh, MacGyver News has learned that it will be a seven-figure settlement. We don't have any more details other than that, but these groups will receive several thousand dollars each more than that. They will get a sense of validation and vindication that, yes, they were wrongly targeted by a government agency with a vast amount of power. So the MacGyver News Minute airs on News Talk 1130 WISN every Tuesday and Thursday. Be sure to tune in and check it out. It does. We've got some great ones coming up this week. Tune in. So um, what was last week besides cold? It was, uh, <laughs> it was cold. It was cold. Oh, Winter was cold. just came to uh, an abrupt start and fall came to an abrupt end. But it uh, warmed up a little bit last week. Uh, the legislature concluded its uh, 2017 calendar, so some good bills got pushed through. Uh, one thing we found out about uh, 
in, in spades was the Foxconn contract, which uh, included a lot of taxpayer protections that were that was part of the discussion as it was being debated uh, and passed through the legislature. Um, one of them is that Foxconn will be required to hire an independent CPA to audit its books and its job creation numbers, and the CPA will have to use industry standards, and their work will be reviewed by WEDC. Uh, there are robust clawback provisions to the first five years of the contract. 100% of the tax credits are clawbackable, if that's a word. Um, so <laughs> that's now. That's that's a good thing. We found that out as well. Um, this was this was signed actually on Friday by Governor Walker and Terry Go, the CEO of Foxconn. Well, real quick, you know, on that, um, you know, this has been one controversy after another. The last controversy was the contract's never going to get signed. It was all over, uh, mm -hmm. all over Wisconsin media. So, are we done with this? Foxconn's never going to get built, or you know, what's the next? Uh, what's the next? No. Uh, one? I, <laughs> Short answer. I, I'm starting. Yeah, no is, is is I think the 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 short answer to that one. I mean, I'm starting to think that once you're going to have shovels in the ground and and you know, cat tractors all over the place out, and you're still going to have uh, folks in denial who uh, disagree with Governor Walker on this thing. So, uh, you know, we've heard that it's going to be a terrible deal for taxpayers. It's you know, it, it is a huge chunk of change. Let's not. Let's not pretend it's not. It's three billion dollars or so, but the the final contract includes these t these pr taxpayer protection provisions. Uh, and one thing to note that uh, I think is really important is that the CEO of Foxconn is personally guaranteeing uh, twenty five percent, which amounts to hundreds of millions of dollars worth of clawback provisions. And that you just, you just don't see that. So this guy Terry Go, the CEO of Foxconn, is very confident in this deal by personally putting up that kind of money. You know, I think this issue for the Democrats is kind of like, the, the Democrats are kind of like the college football ranking committee. The Badgers could win 1,400 games, lose none, and still not get into the top four in the college playoffs. <laughs> for the Democrats, that's what Foxconn is. Yeah. Foxconn is, you know, a, a nationally ranked project. I mean, it's got big wins already. As you said, we've got this contract signed. We find out this week that there will be a thousand jobs. The, the factory won't be completed until 2022. A thousand jobs already there because of this contract by the end of 2018. As you say, there will be this massive manufacturing city unto itself. It will be producing, it will be transforming, and Democrats will still find a way to beat it down. Something else in the contract too, real quick, there's minimum job creation targets for both the capital uh, investment tax credit and the job creation tax credit, which is something critics have, have pointed mm -hmm. at. So, But let's just say the odyssey of Foxconn's just starting. Uh, this is just the first chapter of it, so stay tuned. Uh, we also had last week uh, the the Senate bill or the bill that uh, was authored by Representative Hutton and Senator Tiffany lifting the state's 20-year moratorium on uh, metallic mining for non-iron metallic mining passed the legislature. That and, was big. Very uh, big. Matt, you've written about that quite a bit. That goes onto the governor's desk now. It does. And just for clarification, too, there was a mining bill. Geez, I'm losing track of my years now. It's probably I think it was 2012, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm thinking it's like wow. probably four years ago now. Yeah. But that one covered iron mining, 
this one covers metals like copper and zinc. So that's the difference, and we aren't just rehashing old laws that didn't no. quite work out. That was the Gogebic case, if you recall. I believe 2013. I think it was after the, the 12 election, wasn't it? And they were doing, you know, and I got all the way to the point where they were doing testing and boring and all mm -hmm. of that sort of stuff. Enough to the where we had, you know, environmental uh, extremists uh, committing crimes at the site. Okay. But, you know, that was a big battle nothing this you know this latest legislation did not have the same kind of fire and fury That's from right. the left you know I, I covered the Gogebic event it didn't have the same kind of fire and fury as that did well you know and, and speaking on that that topic you know people in Madison might not realize it but uh, we don't see as many protests as we used to it oh. seems like they're getting smaller and smaller and if you watch some of our uh, protest videos uh, like our, our one from uh, a couple weeks ago you know, you're getting crowds of like a dozen, two dozen people at the most for really hot button issues. So it's it's kind of a it's a nice trend. <laughs> they just don't protest like they used to anymore. They huh? make protesters like they did. <laughs> make protesting great again. Yeah. But you know, come up with a different chant. I'm getting tired of hey hey ho ho and so and so has got to go. Show me what we have. We have a we have a video out there of uh, some young college students with a different kind of chant. Yeah. You don't be careful what you wish for. Right? You, you never That's know true. what you're going to find at MacIverInstitute.com, <laughs> and it, no it's, doubt. Uh, it's, uh, there's never any there's never a boring moment in Madison. No, no. <laughs> so uh, other things that went through real quick. Senator Craig has a zero based budgeting bill. Uh, Ola, you've talked about that, but what it does is basically force agencies to examine every dollar they're spending. That's right, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much just the idea that government only knows how to grow itself, right? Every time we come back to the table and write our own budgets all over again, we only ever start with the budget we had last year. And, you know, something something about incentives, right? They, we never really see them go back in the other direction. So this would kind of reset the table, uh, make agencies question and examine more of the dollars that they're actually proposing to spend. Um, so we'll see what happens with this one. It's going to lift that bureaucratic mindset of I need more money next year, you know, regardless of if the agency actually needs more money. Yeah, so to summarize real quick, the, process, the system we have now is this is what I spent this year, so that's where I, I start my request. Right. I, I will not ask for anything less than I already got this year. Right. So zero base budgeting, though, what, is, what exactly does that do? How does that change that system? Well, I think uh, it, it's not zero-based in the sense that we have typically known it, but mm -hmm. it forces the agencies to justify via reporting every dollar that they're spending uh, to make sure that they actually need that budget, that, f that full budget amount. And there are certain, you know, some sufficient spending, they call it, right. where you have to spend the money by, by statute or what have you. But there's no, de there's no denying it that agencies just start from what they had last year and build on top of that. You know, I've got to give raises. I've got to have the same size workforce. I've got to do this. There's no, there's not nearly enough incentive to reduce the budget right. or to really look at where you can save money. This is about asking the question again, is this spending needed? Do we have to do this? And is this the best way we can be spending our money? Just like anybody who is at home putting together a family budget or an individual right. budget, do I need this? Uh, can I get by without this? Um, and once we get back to that common sense budgeting, uh, we are going to be a lot better off as taxpayers. And the more the more the state budget grows, the 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 less money there are for families to to spend on their own priorities. That's right.
we also saw a package of bills by Representative Adam Jarko uh, from Balsam Lake, Republican of Balsam Lake. Uh, the big one, in my view, the big package of, of prop, the big bill among his package of property rights bills was one that restored property owners' rights lost under the Murr case, Murr versus St. Croix County, which was a U.S. Supreme Court case. Uh, the Murrs were told they couldn't divide their land and sell part of it. And uh, this, his legislation reverses that and basically grandfathers in properties. And the MERS actually are retroactively, uh, I guess, exempted or spared or their rights are, are restored. So if they want to split their parcel of land in half and sell it, they can do that. How, how novel of a concept <laughs> is that? What an idea. What an idea to let people do what they want with their own property. So uh, good, uh, good package of bills there. That goes to the governor's. Uh, governor's desk, State Representative Hutton also had uh, a bill dealing with uh, apprenticeships. So you basically have a minimum of a one-to-one -one ratio of apprentices to journeymen uh, on a job site, which just lets more, uh, lets more apprentices work on a site. And it, that can be changed, the point he made during the press conference. If, if it's not right for a particular business, you can change it in collective bargaining but it just sets a one-to-one -one ratio as the floor. Well, now these are all stories that have gotten a decent amount of attention, but there's so much news that happens in the state that either flies below the radar or just pops up for a moment and then it's gone. So here's mine, for example. Friday, the Milwaukee Common Council voted on the city's 2018 budget. And if you don't pay attention to the news over the weekend, you missed it. Now that's a $1.5 billion budget Pretty much every department in the city received cuts, including the police department. Now, violent crime is up in the city, property values are down, property taxes are up, population is dropping, and the city council voted to include a half million dollar study on racial disparity for city contracts. You find it interesting that the budget was passed on Friday? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that, that's a great time to, to release a news story that you really don't want to talk about. No kidding. I mean, by design obviously, and everybody goes away and watches the Badgers or the Packers over the weekend and they don't think about how much they're going to have to pay in property taxes and, you know, the positions that will be cut that are important to them in public safety. Yeah, very well, ideal. Well, yeah, and, you know, just to reiterate, too, this study on racial um, disparity, that's just for city contracts. So half a million dollars there. Half a million dollars. Hey, what's a half million dollars here and there between bureaucrats, yeah, right? That's right. <laughs> I'll tell you, my biggest uh, story that I think was undercovered is a story that has been covered, uh, but certainly not to the degree that it should. Uh, Hans von Spakowski, a guy I respect a great deal, just a campaign finance uh, expert. Obviously, he was a federal election commission uh, member, so he kind of comes with the territory. Uh, works at Heritage Foundation, wrote a great op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal uh, that appeared Sunday, I believe. But it raises the question about collusion between Hillary Clinton, the Democratic National Committee, and uh, the real potential crimes that were created under federal election law that nobody wants to really look at. You know, we talk about Russian collusion and all of these other things, but we're not talking about the sort of things, and keep in mind, it's the Hillary Clinton folks, the campaign, and particularly on the left, the left in general that created the term dark money. This is about as dark money as it gets, but instead of 
uh, disclosure stuff that isn't really illegal under the Constitution. This stuff is potentially very illegal for Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and the DNC to back but one candidate. And you know ought to be screaming about this is one Bernie Sanders, but yet nothing. Something tells me he probably is, but nobody's really paying He's any really attention quietly. anymore. <laughs> screaming quietly. <laughs> I'll spare you my Bernie Sanders impersonation. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I can jump in with mine. Uh, Chris mentioned this briefly uh, before, but I think it did deserve quite a bit more coverage. It's It's gone back to this apprenticeship bill, the Representative Hutton bill. Now, you mentioned that this makes it so that contractors can hire an apprentice that has just one journeyman. What you didn't mention was that right now, the legal floor is that every apprentice has three journeymen minimum. So, you know, this is one of those regulations that unless you work in this industry, unless you work in this field, you probably don't know about it. And I certainly didn't until I read about this legislation. Uh, but, you know, it's it. I think it is one of those little rule changes that really could have a big effect on uh, closing that skills gap on bringing up the the skills and the job training here in this state, um, especially with all the manufacturing going on. We've been talking about Foxconn. Um, so, yeah, I think that one was definitely uh, deserved a little bit more than, than what the media gave it. I, I didn't see it really get anything. Right. And uh, I... Once again, you heard the old line about it's going to decrease safety in the workplace because you're not going to have as many experienced people right. versus apprentices. But that's a decision that any business but, can make for and, themselves, and, right? Yeah, and like Hutton made a point out of mentioning, if, if you're in that situation, you can change that in collective bargaining. Right. So, right. Uh, that, so that was a very good undercover story. And for me, uh, this story got attention, but it kind of got overwhelmed by everything that was going on. And that is uh, Senate District 10. Uh, last week, uh, we, we've been hearing rumors for a while that Senator Sheila Harsdorf uh, would get appointed to be the secretary of, of DATCAP, the Agriculture Department, and, and she was. Governor Walker made the announcement on Friday. Uh, not too long after that, uh, Adam Jarko, the, the a representative from within the district, uh, announced that he'd be running for her seat. And this morning, uh, his colleague right to the south, I believe it is, uh, uh, Shannon Zimmerman, uh, also announced. So there will be, a, this is a very compressed timeline. Yeah, uh, the, fast turnaround. It's right? amazing. Uh, the It's about a month from now, if you're listening on in mid-November, because the primary is on December 19th. Uh, so Jarko versus Zimmerman for the Republican nomination. Uh, and they will face Patty Shatner. I don't know if, if she's related to William Shatner. It's actually not spelled the same. On January 16th. So They've got two months to put together a campaign. And here, the question I had, and the reason why I wanted to uh, point this out as a story that might be more significant, I think for one, you're gonna see more spending in this race, and it's gonna be a more competitive primary than people are think there are gonna be a more action-packed, mm -hmm. you know, hard-fought primary than people are thinking. And you've got one Republican who voted against the Foxconn deal, and one Republican who voted uh, against it. Or there's one, did, did I already say that? <laughs> one Republican voted for the Foxconn deal, and one voted against it. Uh, Jarko voted no on a free market kind of a, sure. uh, yeah. a rationale, and Zimmerman voted yes. So is this going to be a litmus test of how the Foxconn deal is going to play out state, mm -hmm. this primary? Yeah, the Foxconn issue will be a key issue coming up for Walker and for these you know, these uh, elections. This, the big question, though, that you have 
have to ask, will this campaign boldly go where no other campaign has gone? <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, one thing you probably want to point out there, though, is that uh, Representative Jarko had a very different reason for voting against the Foxconn incentives package compared to most other people, of course, the Democrats who voted right. against it. Yeah. And that was because he said, hey, any business in the state of Wisconsin should get these rules, not just the big enough ones uh, like Foxconn. I want any small mom and pop right. business to, to have those rules. And you know what? That's something that we should keep talking about that here in Wisconsin. Yeah, Very good for pointing that out. All right. So some people had a really good week last week. Some people had a bad week. Some causes had a good week last week and others had not such a good week. So why don't we go around the horn real quick. And Matt, who do you think had a good week and a bad week? Well, I think you had a great week, but you can talk about uh, that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were not uh, bottled up in uh, legislative committees and uh, floor sessions and all of that sort of thing, and you didn't see the grandstanding that we are usually <laughs> subjected to. I think you had a good week. We just talked about it. Adam Jarko had an exceptional week last week. Mm -hmm. Adam Jarko introduced, shepherded through, and the, the home, uh, the property owner's bill of rights didn't just come about overnight. Mm -hmm. This right. is something that, that he and Tom Tiffany, Senator Tom Tiffany, introduced last summer. Not this past summer, right. but a year ago. I remember talking to him on the radio about the introduction of that. This is a long time in the making, and now it's heading to the governor's desk. That was a very big week for him. He brought up the issue that got the most conversation, bar none, of any issue, he proposed the idea that 19-year-olds uh, ought to be uh, able to drink in the state of Wisconsin. That is to say, drink alcohol in the state of Wisconsin. Right, and yeah. that got a lot of coverage and a lot of attention right before on Friday when we find out that um, he is going to throw his hat in the ring to run for Senate. And he runs for Senate, makes that announcement just as he's having a good deal of success in the legislature. I think a pretty good week for uh, Representative Jarko. All right, I'll follow that up kind of on a similar vein. Good week, speaking generally, the future of jobs in the state of Wisconsin. I mean, we had a couple significant things happen last week from the mining bill to the apprenticeship bill that I had mentioned to the final, final signing of that Foxconn contract. You know, it's been a long lead up. Uh, the last couple months that we've had and now you know we really see this thing out in the open we see all the promises that were made uh, the uh, the decisions that were made there and you know I think uh, to borrow a line from the governor the future's bright in the state of Wisconsin so bright I gotta wear <laughs> I mean, shades and on a related note people who had a bad week the naysayers specifically of that Foxconn contract it was made public and it finally happened people and those clawback provisions the minimum job uh, requirements all of those they're in there black and white on paper so and to tim carpenter's dismay no nuclear bombs <laughs> no <laughs> nuclear bombs they defused the nuclear bombs uh i think it was a good week for conservative reforms in general um joe sanfilippo has his uh direct primary care bill which uh Matt, you wrote about that, mm -hmm. but uh, that makes it possible for individuals to bypass insurance altogether and go see a doctor uh, and take advantage of one of these innovative arrangements where you basically pay the doctor out of pocket and it can be significantly cheaper than actually getting insurance. Uh, Wisconsin joins 23 other states in having a direct primary care law, but we would be a leader because this would be the first time we apply the, the law to the medical assistance program. Yes. 
and he says this could bend the cost curve down, unlike the failed promises of Obamacare, <laughs> by 20%. And that would save, if that was true, it would save hundreds of millions of dollars. Very good for, for that. Uh, we mentioned Adam Jericho's property rights package. Uh, very good uh, for very good conservative reform. And the IRS uh, had to pay. So hopefully we won't see the IRS abusing uh, groups of any political ide ideology in the future. So. Knock on James Carville's head. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a bad, well, I was going to say it was a bad week for Democratic Foxconn naysayers, but Ola stole my thunder. So um, it was a bad week for Obamacare customers, and it will continue yeah. being a bad week for Obamacare customers through the end of open enrollment and even beyond that. Uh, this week, or last week as a matter of fact, open enrollment began. Um, the, here's an untold story that you'll want to keep an eye on MacIverInstitute.com for uh, as the week goes along. We'll get a story up. Sneak preview. There are seven counties up around the Brown County area, around the Green Bay area, who just two years ago, in 2016, they had five or more providers on the individual insurance market on Obamacare. Uh, so if you're on Obamacare, you had a pretty decent selection of choices. There are now in seven of those counties, just one. That is an undercovered story, and that is a shame. That is a completely uncovered story. Um, they went from all these providers down to just one, and here's the kicker. The one provider is one Common Ground Healthcare Co-op, which is one of these cooperatives established by uh, through after Obamacare to lower costs and increase competition. And here they are, in the last insurer standing in the market. They've been propped up by over $100 million in taxpayer-backed loans. And they were also set up to decrease costs. Someone guess tells me that didn't happen, huh? Wait for it. Guess what, guess what Common Ground's doing with its individual insurance plan next year? I can only imagine. It's increasing its rates by 63%. So mm -hmm. if you're on Obamacare in these markets, you've got no choice you literally have no choice. You only have the one company to choose from. It's either that or pay the IRS penalty, and you're getting slapped. If you weren't one of the 75,000 people who lost your coverage, you're getting slapped with a 63% increase. Deal with it. That's just atrocious, and it's all on the taxpayer's back. Right. So for my uh, who had the best week last week, you've already foreshadowed this, Matt, but it was me. Uh, <laughs> only because of jealousy. Oh, I see. Yeah. But <laughs> took a week off. I finished uh, insulating my garage for the winter, installed shelves. I got a feeling of a sense of accomplishment. Billy, you I know how to party, my world. friend. You know how to party. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even like... fall off a ladder yep. that we can tell. Yeah, so I didn't even, you know, I didn't even have that bad element to the week. So <laughs> anyway, that'll do it for this week. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this inaugural edition of the McIver Report. Make sure to listen in again next week and check out our brand new website at mckayburnstitute.com. Peace out. Okay.